Welcome to episode number seven of An Artifactual Journey. I'm your host, Philip J. Merrill, and today we're talking to T.C. Neeson of the African American Historical Society of South Central Pennsylvania. Welcome to our podcast. Good afternoon, folks. My name is Tim C. Neeson. I was the historical consultant for the Thaddeus Stevens Museum of Lancaster County. We were planning to put both a museum and an educational building across the street. The recession of 2008 killed the fundraising efforts that we had made at the Stevens Museum. This land and property has now been leased by the Lancaster County Historical Society, and the museum should open by 2020. Could you tell us exactly where this is located? This is located at 4547 South Queen Street, near the center of Lancaster City. And as the historian for the society aforementioned, what's one of the more exciting things about Lancaster that you personally are excited about? Lancaster is an important center of black history. It had a substantial number of black entrepreneurs, mainly barbers. There are three or four barbers of significant importance in Lancaster City. What time period could you... From the 1835 through 1900. So barbering is an important occupation in Lancaster? Barbering was... Blacks were excluded from the trades, and therefore often African Americans would become entrepreneurs on a smaller level, like caterers, barbers, restauranteurs, those would be examples of occupations that Afro-Americans were not excluded from. Now, as the historian, uh, again, for this group, how did you come to uncover that exciting information you just shared? Dr. Leroy Hopkins is the president of the organization, and he has done a study of black barbers in Lancaster City. Okay, so again, for the outsiders, we don't know very much about Lancaster, period. So from your perspective, tell us a little bit more about how you research, why you research, and the richness of the landscape that is really underappreciated in other parts of the country. Well, Lancaster City, as well as Lancaster County, was very important as it was a major center for the Underground Railroad in south-central Pennsylvania. It led from Maryland through southern Lancaster County into Chester County. Especially the Borough of Columbia was the center of black culture and business in the state, far more than Lancaster City. It was also a center of resistance to slavery, both politically and through means of the Underground Railroad. Lancaster City was a hotbed of fanaticism on both the pro-slavery side as well as the anti-slavery side. It went through gyrations of political control. Eventually, the anti-slavery Know-Nothing Party took it over and ruled the county until the death of the son of the leader, George Brubaker, whose name was Judge Henry Clay Brubaker. He ran what's called the Brubaker Gang. Liddy Hamilton Smith's son was a important member. His band would harass reform Republicans when they spoke. Okay, this is exciting, but we need some clarification. Who was Lydia Hamilton Smith? Lydia Hamilton Smith was the alleged mistress of Thaddeus Stevens. I noticed you said alleged. 
I've heard in some places that she's identified as a confidant and business person, but you're saying alleged mistress, so therefore something intimate or sexual was going on? That is a matter of dispute. Okay. Thaddeus Stevens' confession seems to implicate him. Fraun Brody and I are the only two people ever to utilize the confession. She wrote the biography of Jefferson as well as a biography of Thaddeus Stevens. She assumed that they were lovers. I am less convinced. So you don't really think that they were lovers? No, I do not. However, I recently discovered a follow-up to the confession, authored by Reverend Blanchard, who was the person who was a close friend and a protege of Thaddeus Stevens. He was uh, given a substantial sum of money to promote abolitionism in Harrisburg in the 1840s. He later moved to Illinois, and he thinks that the confession given by Stevens indicates that he and Liddy Hamilton Smith were lovers. He quotes Reverend Daniel Payne as saying that they were, I should say, that they lived as man and wife. The Daniel Payne, that's the, the Daniel, noted bishop of the, the AME Church. That's correct. Very exciting. I, I'm almost speechless because you're just throwing out nugget after the historical nugget of uh, controversy and, and uh, imp- important knowledge. And well, you got to backtrack. Could you just tell me, for instance, where someone would go in Lancaster if they wanted to research more of this? Or where do you go to come up with this well, magnificent... I go to the Lancaster County Historical Society. They have wonderful facilities. Their staff has increased in quality recently. Second place I go is the Lancaster Public Library because of the di- because of the diversity of the newspaper sources. What about going into Harrisburg to some other location? When you go there, does it tie into any of your Lancaster research? To some limited degree, I am also researching a biography of T. Morris Chester, sometimes known as General T. Morris Chester, because of his important role in the Reconstruction era. So is it fair to say that in your spare time, if you have any, you would much rather be researching African-American 19th century history than anything else? Yes, at this point in my life. At this point in your life. And could you talk about, as a younger person, what led you to this love of serious scholarship? I first began to write a biography of the filibuster, or William Walker. Uh, For the audience, who's William Walker? William Walker was the most famous filibuster of all time. A filibuster had been defined, and it's still defined from a historical perspective, as an American adventurer who violates the neutrality laws of 1818. That's a mouthful, my goodness. And what led you to want to research that, of all things? Well, I read a biography of William Walker when I was about 18 and was fascinated. Um, What led me into African-American history was there were chapters in the biography of William Walker relating to the Greytown Affair, which is a fascinating aspect of American history. A city-state about 15 miles wide and 90 miles long was established in Central America. Allegedly, Martin Delaney became the mayor of Greytown during this period. This is a myth, yet there is some substance to the myth. So you you like to, I don't want to say debunk or demystify, but you like to bring out the truth. Yes, the truth is what I'm after. And one of the methods that you employ is uh, quite a bit of serious research to substantiate your theories. Yes, newspaper research 
is essential to a historical researcher. One of the problems with the Greytown affair is it's covered by diplomatic historians who do not want to research adequately outside the diplomatic documents. Therefore, they don't realize the truth because the diplomats who are writing tend to disguise the truth. So with that said, could you throw out a couple of your, what I like to classify as go-to newspapers that you look at through microfilm? Well, uh, okay, the historian Eric Foner, in his foreword to his dissertation, which uh, led to his book on free men, free labor, I forget the third part, he wrote that is a thorough reading of the New York Tribune is an essential element to understand the origins of the Republican Party. And I've read the New York Tribune from its start in 1841 through 1880. 1841 through 1880. That's correct. Every page. Every page. I was doing this because I pursued the story of the gyrations in the word filibuster. I've charted every uses of this obscure term, which now means during a congressional speech, a senator will thwart legislation by talking about non-essential things. I have discovered uh, meaning variations in the 20s and their hybridization. There would be one meeting and then there would be another meaning, and then there would be a meaning in between. So as I'm listening to you, in essence, you could put out a, a book or a project just on historical filibusters. Yes, I have. I want to still do that project. It's still born. Unbelievable. Who knew? I mean, off the uh, recording uh, previously, we were discussing so many different things, and I had no idea that this would be as exciting as you spent that much time looking yeah, I at... I spent 20 years. 20 years. 20 years tracking the word filibuster. Woo! We'll have to continue that later. There's so much I want to talk to you about in a, in a limited amount of time. In front of you, you're looking at a cabinet card from Ammon M. Lease, L-E-A-S-E, from 22 North Queen Street, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So with your strong research background, what would you suggest as the best methodology to learn more about this photographer and his photographic legacy in Lancaster? Well... Uh, the African-American woman is very, very interesting. She's beautiful, light-skinned, and she is representative of most African-Americans before the Great Migration in the teens of the 20th century. The photographer is from York County, and I can relate a perhaps apocryphal story, but nonetheless, it is, well... Share it, please. Go right Lease, in. Lease, the photographer, is from York County, and he starts in 1851, and he goes to 1910, in Lancaster City. Abolitionist writing, or I should say speaking about the era before the Civil War, they have a really interesting perspective. They they assert that Lancaster County was heaven. Was heaven? Heaven. <laughs> Maryland was hell. And west of the Susquehanna was purgatory. So there's a delineation between purgatory and hell. Yes. West of the Susquehanna was where the fugitive slaves had to travel to get to Lancaster County, where they were safe once they reached the Susquehanna. Now, this was prior to the enforcement of the fugitive slave law in 1851. In the period of 1847 through 1851, Pennsylvania enacted a personal liberty law which made freedom seekers immune to prosecution in Pennsylvania. Mm, mm, mm. I'm listening to you, and I, I have one question. I thought that the Fugitive Slave Law was enacted in 1850 and not 1851. 
but it was not enforced, enforced. until 1851. Okay. It was signed into law in 1850, but it wasn't enforced, at least in Pennsylvania. Mm, mm, mm. Now, again, we're talking about research. Where did you come up with the, the lovely information about hell, about purgatory in heaven? Uh, I just I, love I love that. I read it in a Lancaster newspaper. Unfortunately, I can't document it, but I can't imagine my that my brain made it up. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so it would be nice for the future if you could find. Uh, yes, uh, people have been asking where I found that tale and, because that could be used over and over again with so many other projects. Uh, indeed. I, I, so th- that's brilliant. L- let's go on to something else. As a Caucasian, do you ever run into any type of professional or personal resistance when you're off on your research quest to uncover various controversial aspects of the 19th century black community in Lancaster? Not that I've experienced personally, okay. but I'm not, I cannot read minds. Mm-hmm. So it could very well be that some people are resentful. I don't know. I was curious because you, you spend so much time at various libraries, historical societies, and repositories researching, and, and often people become territorial or institutional, trying to protect something that they think only belongs to them. So you're delving into... Well, there is a group in Lancaster that is of Afrocentric attitude. And define Afrocentric for the audience? Afrocentricism derives from a prominent professor in Los Angeles who came to speak at Millersville. I was quite impressed by him. His name? It escapes you. It escapes me. <laughs> so you were that impressed by him that his name is No, you. but I actually <laughs> asked him a question about the color line in Egypt, which he, uh, which he answered, which was interesting. Currently, there is a professor named Asante at Temple University. Dr. Malefi Asante, yes. Who has produced many protégés. Indeed, <laughs> lots. And um, they may well be resentful of my intrusion into their turf. I don't know. I've seen nothing has emerged from the dark, mm-hmm. and but I don't know. They may well be resentful, and they'll probably be more resentful when I put it in print. But from a marketing perspective, often controversy sells. Indeed, I hope so. Well, we, we do too. So <laughs> as we bring this to a close, what would be one favorite part of your African-American research that you can share with us in this podcast? Well, I'm researching. I don't give away any of your trade secrets now. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I'm <laughs> researching the African-American community in Conestoga Center, where that there was a relatively large enclave of African-Americans, 100, 125 in 1880s. That was the peak. And it slowly dwindles due to economic opportunities elsewhere, as well as serial arson. You said serial arson? Yes, serial arson. I've documented almost all of them. The only serial arson that I have missed is is that of the AME Church. And I think I have delineated it to within a three-month period. How many years have you been doing that? And don't tell me 20 like the uh, the New York Tribune. Please don't tell me that. Well, <laughs> my main source, other than going reading all of the Lancaster newspapers, which is an essential precursor, is a diary that I've been going over, a very important diary, which soon will be published, in fact. It's by Andrew Zerker, 
who was the undertaker and friend to the African Americans of Conestoga Center. His diary runs from 1889 through 1941. He is very close with the African American community of Conestoga Center. He gives them private mortgages. He allows them to invest in real estate. This is absolutely unheard of. This is brilliant. You're brilliant. Well, I try. (laughs) Here's here's, here's my prayer, my hope. I would like to tag along with you on one of your research escapades or journeys. Excellent. Uh, Well, you can come along. With me in the journey. Because I just want to witness some of this brilliance that T.C. Neeson experiences with regard to this pioneering, groundbreaking research that is, in modern-day slang, completely off the hook. Well, thank you. You've enlightened us in ways that I I could not imagine, and I look forward to having other podcast sessions with you discussing research and various aspects of the journey in documenting the under- reported and valued experiences of the African-American in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I'd just like to thank you very much for this podcast.